fairy lights for fairy nights. It's time for your bedtime story. Brought to you by me, the Suze. Also brought to you by me, Zelda. Put your PJs on and sit down for a soothing bedtime story. It's not just the devil in the details. What else is lurking? Fairy lights for fairy nights. Hello there. It's Thursday. How are things? How are you? Pretty good. How are you? Coming along. Coming along. I'm, um, in a dreamlike state. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Took a nap and trouble getting out of there. Oh, man. It's like trusting a fart, you know? Taking a (laughs) nap, you gotta trust that you're gonna wake up. Maybe you wake up. Maybe Maybe you're going to bed. You know, maybe you're farting, maybe you're sharding. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you're in a dreamlike state. Where you're seeing people you've never seen before. I, or or people you used to know. I, um, found a whole bunch of things about water, but it's all super short. It's so weird because, um, I found some Jewish, um, fairy tales. Mm-hmm. And when I listen to them, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. This is just the story of uh, Moses. This is not the story of a water babe, babies. It's the story of Moses put in the water, you know. And, well, uh, a lot of non-Jewish or perhaps more traditionally Western fairy tales are just yeah. retellings of Christ stories. So. Yeah, yeah. I did find one that I listened to half of, and um, it was the story of uh, the giants of the flood. And I was like, oh. And then they start off talking about Noah, and I'm like, oh, great. It's just going to be the story of the ark and Noah. And then they start talking about a giant and a unicorn, and I'm like, wait a minute. I don't remember this in the Bible. So I was like, that's a good one. Mm. Yeah. I mean... Because, yeah, it would be great to have tons of unicorn stories. That's what I thought this was all going to be about. But I don't find lots of unicorn stories. Well. Maybe I should start looking for unicorn fairy tales and see what happens. (laughs) Uh, But I've got a lot of stories, but they're all like five minute, six minute, ten minute. And I'm like, okay. We're just going to... Or, or this is the best one. This one's 33 seconds. This is called, uh, it's from Scottish Fairy Tales, What to Say to the New Moon. Here, don't okay. even bother to mute yourself. Chapter 10 of the Scottish Fairy Book by Elizabeth W. Grierson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. What to Say to the New Moon. New Moon, true moon, tell unto me if my ain true love he will marry me. If they marry me in haste, let me see his bonny face. If they marry me betide, let me see his bonny side. Gan he marry now me awa, turn his back, and gay awa. End of chapter 10. That's all you get. Well, all right. I mean, that's weird. Okay, it's just a little poem. Okay. But, um, yeah, stuff like that. That's what I'm finding lately. I'm trying to look for water stuff. 
But, um, yeah. I uh, have the Green News Report. I can play that anytime you so desire. Um, you know. I have stuff on flower fairies, because flower fairies. Well, it's, you know, April showers bring Mayflowers, right? And Mayflowers yes. bring genocide. <laughs> Mayflowers bring genocide? Where'd you hear that? Where'd I hear that? Um, well, the Mayflower brought the pilgrims. <gasps> oh, the Mayflower. Okay. All who right. did, oh, you know. Oh, you. <laughs> I just, I like flowers, actually. I have, um... I know, I, I was perverting a, an old yeah, you were. whitewashing you were. Uh, rhyme. Yeah, I get it so. now. Yeah. Phil, stop it. Sorry, Phil's trying to scratch up the couch. I'm uh, coming to you from my studio, LR. LR, living room? Yep. 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 She's going to destroy that couch. It'll take a while. It's a slow well, art project. Well, you know, it's a nice Ikea couch. Oh. And any of you haters out there, go fuck yourselves. There's plenty of nice stuff at Ikea. And the what I like, it, you know what, Suze? It's the same couch I had in Cleveland. Do you remember that one? Mm -hmm. The modern kind of blocky one. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. The cover comes off. It's washable. Nice. Which also means that if she scratches it up, I can just buy a new one. Exactly. That's lovely. So it's too bad she doesn't have 500 fucking toys I can see, including scratching posts. Right here, oh young lady. Huh, she's young made lady. a priority, and she's important, and she's told she's important, but she just wants to destroy things. I don't know. Well, she's you know, she's a sweet girl. That's true. Yeah, I mean, you can buy your couch at IKEA. That's great. Um, I also believe in waiting for the right couch for you, and then getting that also i also believe that cats destroy my couches on a regular basis and i eventually just throw them out which is not good but cats i choose cats every time well i would too yeah. i would choose cats over most men um and yeah. other people uh people who are not men um yeah what it, since you're feeling like you're in a dreamlike state and you had yeah. a nap do you have yeah. any uh before we jump into a series, I imagine, of back-to-back -back mm -hmm. short uh, spring-adjacent fairy tales, mm -hmm. do you have any sleep hygiene about perhaps napping? Well, napping can be good. Um, I've read that you shouldn't, you know, you should nap for a few hours maximum and then get back up. And live your life. That's the best. Um, I feel that I've had scheduled naps before because I've been like, you know, hitting the wall at three o'clock and having to take a couple hours off, a little siesta, as they say. But I find that the word delicious sometimes, when the word delicious applies to your nap, then. Ew. Just take it. No? Ew? Delicious like it, should apply to food and beverage. Sometimes it feels so good to shut your eyes and just nap that it's it's better than food. So, well, I agree to that. I just, the word. Yeah. I don't know why. It's like, that's, I don't like it. I don't want it to describe anything. Yeah. Uh, 
I get it. That's just that's how my brain works. My brain's just like, oh my gosh, when you have to nap so bad, you're just like, I want this more than anything. Just take a nap. So yeah, I'm a power nap person. I like a fifteen thirty minute kind of thing. Yeah. So, uh, well, all right. Uh, yeah. Hit hit me with a, a story. All right, I'm just going to go for this little four-minute fox and stork, because I like foxes, um, but I like storks because they, I, I don't know, I just I just like the idea of storks delivering babies and, and fairy tales, and they're just gorgeous creatures. So let's go for that. Chapter 10 of The Mermaid's Message and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 10. The Fox and the Stork by Ellen F. Wiggin One morning a fox, having finished his breakfast, started for a walk in the woods in the hope of finding some friend to talk with, and, as he walked along, he met on the shore of a pond a stork resting on one foot. The stork was quite willing to answer all the questions which the fox wished to ask, and, as he had a good deal of curiosity, he asked a good many. After they had said good morning, and talked a little while, the fox asked, How can you walk on one leg? The stork laughed. Why, said she, I never do walk on one leg. Here is the other one tucked up here. And she showed it to him, drawn away up under her body. It rests me to draw one leg up sometimes, she explained. Well, said the fox, that is a queer way to rest. But don't you find it rather hard to manage two such long, slim red legs? Your legs are much taller than I am. Oh no, answered the stork. Now I could wade out ever so far into that pond without wetting my feathers, and you, with your little short legs, would wet your fur coat if you tried to cross a brook. But, said the fox, what do you want such a long, broad bill for? None of the other birds have one. Why, that is my fishing net, exclaimed the stork. Don't you see? I put that way down under the water, and when I take it up, the water runs out of these strainers here on each side of it. But the fish are left, and I eat them. Some animals called men fish with nets which they use in just the way that I fish with my bill. The fox was so charmed with his new acquaintance and her instructive conversation that he invited her to dine with him the next day, and she very politely accepted. The fox went home, and while he was thinking what he should have for dinner the next day, the thought came to him. Wouldn't it be funny to play a joke on the stork? The more he thought about it, the more he wanted to do it, and at last, although he knew it was not a polite thing to do, he decided that he would play the joke. Accordingly, he worked very busily, and the next day, when the stork arrived, he was all ready. He invited her out to dinner, and what do you suppose that hungry stork saw? Why, nothing but soup served in flat dishes. Now you see, with her long bill, she could not even get a mouthful, but had to sit looking on and trying to eat, while the fox with his little tongue lapped out all the dishes. She saw that he had planned this to tease her, without thinking how uncomfortable she would feel having to go without her dinner, but she was not in the least angry. She tried to be very pleasant, and when leaving, invited the fox to dine in on a certain day with her. She thought that the best way to punish him for his joke was to let him feel, too, how uncomfortable it is to go without one's dinner, 
when one has been invited to take it with a friend. But what do you think she did? I fear you could never guess, so I shall have to tell you. On the day that she planned to have the fox to dinner, she rose early and flew about a great deal, so as to have everything ready by the time he arrived. And when she asked him to her table, I fear that he felt very much as the stork did when she saw his. There was no soup and flat dishes this time, but instead, there was some very nice chopped meat, which the fox was very fond of, but it was served in tall, narrow-necked bottles, and the fox could only look at the meat. He could not eat it, for his nose was too short, and too large around to be poked down into the bottles. The stork seemed to enjoy her dinner very much indeed. Those bottles were well suited to her bill, and when she had finished, she smiled and said, I hope you enjoyed dining at my table as much as I did at yours the other day. The fox felt very much ashamed, and, when he left, he said he wished very much that she would come to dinner with him once more. He would try to make it pleasanter for her. She consented, and at that dinner the fox was careful to serve what was meant for the stork in long-necked dishes, and only his own dinner in the shallow plates. End of chapter 10 Recording by Ruth Legrano Well. Hey there. Yes, you. Do I have a product for you, losers? I bet you're nice and hungry right now. Perhaps thinking of a burger. Don't eat that. It might improve your overall well-being. From the brand owners of non-edible crackers and acidic Gatorade, try Beast's Peanut Butter Cups. Do you want twice the stomach ache for half the price? Try Beast's. Made with sewer-quality chocolate. Filled to the brim with the most crunchy yet succulent beans. Beast's Peanut Butter Cups. Make sure you have a chair nearby, because you're about to lose control of the entire left side of your body. Legal rights non-applicable. Pieces, the official sponsor of Fairy Lights for Fairy Nights, airing Tuesday and Thursday nights from 7 to 9 on RadioForHumans.com. So, because the fox and the stork was about two animals being mean to each other and feeding each other yeah. things they didn't want to eat. So I just wanted to play the Beezus commercial. <laughs> well, Beezus always makes me laugh. Yeah. I still am actually tearing up just thinking about it in a good way. Like, I can't look at that image and not, like, just... Do you, do you like the idea of sewer-quality chocolate? Well, I don't care for Reese's... Really, I like Reese's Pieces. Uh, but no, I, I don't love care for Reese's, Reese's peanut butter cups. Um, it's my favorite. I don't, I don't like them, and I hate baked <laughs> beans. But that <laughs> image, and I think just the word "beeses peanut," those two words "beanut" is really where I lose. <laughs> I'm thinking about it now, and the "beanut" word with the bee look. Oh, it's good times. It's so funny. It's a perfect Photoshop job. <laughs> um. Even the intentional typos in it are perfect. I'll just go ahead and chat again. I don't like to go too long without sharing pieces. <laughs> uh, so. Well, anyway, yeah, those those guys uh, didn't like... Ooh, a bird. Sorry, since we're out in Studio L, uh, mm-hmm. Cape Cod, we're near the bird feeder. Oh, and uh, you have the bird feeder for the cats now. 
Yeah, yeah, I've had that for a while. Oh. Um, and Phil enjoys it. She. That's um, nice. Yeah, yeah, big fan. Yeah. The cat who lives in and outside, uh, Mr. Kitty, my neighbor's cat, has decided that I need help feeding myself, and he's been leaving dead animals under it. Oh. He knows that I'm always near that window. And on Easter, he brought me the head half of a mole I discovered is what it was. So, mm. Thank you, Mr. Kitty. Wow. Just gives you different things. That's that's or awful. That. Mm. It's, you know, it's Faye propaganda. He's a, probably a member of the Faye. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm, um, we have a outdoor cameras. I'm noticing some, some fey, fey, uh, the evidence at three in the morning. So there you go. There's the beeses. Yeah. This is peanut butter cups. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> my Bowie, Bowie is sitting next to me, my roommate. Uh, buddy, and um, he's just kind of gave me a, a very sweet, what I would describe, patient look. <laughs> <laughs> that is, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I haven't framed it, like printed it out, framed it, and hung it in the bathroom yet, but I did buy a tile. It's a, a ceramic tile art piece that can only be described as like a seductive cat like leaning mm-hmm. back and staring at you and I put it on the cabinet across from the toilet so when anyone sits down on the toilet now they're looking into the tile eyes of a cat that's like asking you to paint it like one of your French girls yeah <laughs> so I'll, I'll have to send a picture of that I just posted a seductive I cat I saw your gift there just got there um yeah but that's that's a almost a fable, almost a fable that uh, stork and the and the fox. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's launch into the ten minute giant in the flood because there's a unicorn in it and I haven't heard the end. I just All wanted right, I like to make it. sure it wasn't a disguised Bible story. Cause, uh, no, I appreciate that you did that. Yeah. Yeah. Easter had its time. Chapter 2 yeah. of Jewish Fairy Tales and Legends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Diana Schmidt. Jewish Fairy Tales and Legends by Gertrude Landa. The Giant of the Flood. Just before the world was drowned, All the animals gathered in front of the ark, and Father Noah carefully inspected them. All ye that lie down shall enter and be saved from the deluge that is about to destroy the world, he said. Ye that stand cannot enter. Then the various creatures began to march forward into the ark. Father Noah watched them closely. He seemed troubled. I wonder, he said to himself, How shall I obtain a unicorn, and how shall I get it into the ark? I can bring thee a unicorn, Father Noah, he heard a voice of thunder, and turning round he saw the giant Og. 
but thou must agree to save me too from the flood. Be gone, cried Noah. Thou art a demon, not a human being. I can have no dealings with thee. Pity me, whined the giant. See how my figure is shrinking? Once I was so tall that I could drink water from the clouds and toast fish at the sun. I fear not that I shall be drowned, but that all the food will be destroyed and that I shall perish of hunger. Noah, however, only smiled. But he grew serious again when Og brought a unicorn. It was as big as a mountain, although the giant said it was the smallest he could find. It lay down in front of the ark, and Noah saw by that action that he must save it. For some time he was puzzled what to do, but at last a bright idea struck him. He attached the huge beast to the ark by a rope fastened to its horn so that it could swim alongside and be fed. Og seated himself on a mountain near at hand and watched the rain pouring down. Faster and faster it fell in torrents until the rivers overflowed and the waters began to rise rapidly on the land and sweep all things away. Father Noah stood gloomily before the door of the ark until the water reached his neck. Then it swept him inside. The door closed with a bang, and the ark rose gallantly on the flood and began to move along. The unicorn swam alongside, and as it passed Og, the giant jumped onto its back. See, Father Noah, he cried with a huge chuckle, you will have to save me after all. I will snatch all the food you put through the window for the unicorn. Noah saw that it was useless to argue with Og, who might, indeed, sink the ark with his tremendous strength. I will make a bargain with thee, he shouted from a window. I will feed thee, but thou must promise to be a servant to my descendants. Og was very hungry, so he accepted the conditions and devoured his first breakfast. The rain continued to fall in great big sheets that shut out the light of day. Inside the ark, however, all was bright and cheerful, for Noah had collected the most precious of the stones of the earth and had used them for the windows. Their radiance illumined the whole of the three stories in the ark. Some of the animals were troublesome, and Noah got no sleep at all. The lion had a bad attack of fever. In a corner, a bird slept the whole of the time. This was the phoenix. Wake up, said Noah one day. It is feeding time. Thank you, returned the bird. I saw thou wert busy, Father Noah, so I would not trouble thee. Thou art a good bird, said Noah, much touched. Therefore thou shalt never die. One day the rain ceased, the clouds rolled away, and the sun shone brilliantly again. How strange the world looked. It was like a vast ocean. Nothing but water could be seen anywhere, and only one or two of the highest mountain tops peeped above the flood. All the world was drowned, and Noah gazed on the desolate scene from one of the windows with tears in his eyes. Og, riding gaily on the unicorn behind the ark, was quite happy. Ha ha! he laughed gleefully. I shall be able to eat and drink just as much as I like now and shall never be troubled by those tiny little creatures, the mortals. 
be not so sure, said Noah. Those tiny mortals shall be thy masters, and shall outlive thee and the whole race of giants and demons. The giant did not relish this prospect. He knew that whatever Noah prophesied would come true, and he was so sad that he ate no food for two days and began to grow smaller and thinner. He became more and more unhappy as day by day the water subsided and the mountains began to appear. At last the ark rested on Mount Ararat, and Og's long ride came to an end. I will soon leave thee, Father Noah, he said. I shall wander round the world to see what is left of it. Thou canst not go until I permit thee, said Noah. Hast thou forgotten our compact so soon? Thou must be my servant. I have work for thee. Giants are not fond of work, and Og, who was the father of all the giants, was particularly lazy. He cared only to eat and sleep, but he knew he was in Noah's power, and he shed bitter tears when he saw the land appear again. Stop, commanded Noah. Dost thou wish to drown the world once more with thy big tears? So Og sat on a mountain and rocked from side to side, weeping silently to himself. He watched the animals leave the ark and had to do all the hard work when Noah's children built houses. Daily he complained that he was shrinking to the size of the mortals, for Noah said there was not too much food. One day Noah said to him, Come with me, Og, I am going around the world. I am commanded to plant fruit and flowers to make the earth beautiful. I need thy help. For many days they wandered all over the earth, and Og was compelled to carry the heavy bag of seeds. The last thing Noah planted was the grapevine. What is this, food or drink? asked Og. Both, replied Noah. It can be eaten or its juice made into wine. And as he planted it, he blessed the grape. Be thou, he said, a plant pleasing to the eye, bear fruit that will be food for the hungry, and a health-giving drink to the thirsty and sick. Og grunted. I will offer up sacrifice to this wonderful fruit, he said. May I not do so now that our labors are over? Noah agreed, and the giant brought a sheep, a lion, a pig, and a monkey. First he slaughtered the sheep, then the lion. When a man shall taste but a few drops of the wine, he said, he shall be as harmless as a sheep. When he takes a little more, he shall be as strong as a lion. Then Og began to dance around the plant, and he killed the pig and the monkey. Noah was very much surprised. I am giving thy descendants two extra blessings, said Og, chuckling. He rolled over and over on the ground in great glee and then said, When a man shall drink too much of the juice of the wine, then shall he become a beast like the pig, and if then he still continues to drink, he shall behave foolishly like a monkey. And that is why, unto this day, too much wine makes a man silly. Og himself drank too much, and many years afterwards, when he was a servant to the patriarch Abraham, the latter scolded him 
until he became so frightened that he dropped a tooth. Abraham made an ivory chair for himself from this tooth. Afterwards, Og became king of Bashan, but he forgot his compact with Noah, and instead of helping the Israelites to obtain Canaan, he opposed them. I will kill them all with one blow, he declared. Exerting all his enormous strength, he uprooted a mountain, and raising it high above his head, he prepared to drop it on the camp of the Israelites and crush it. But a wonderful thing happened. The mountain was full of grasshoppers and ants who had bored millions of tiny holes in it. When King Og raised the great mass, it crumbled in his hands and fell over his head and round his neck like a collar. He tried to pull it off, but his teeth became entangled in the mass. As he danced about in rage and pain, Moses, the leader of the Israelites, approached him. Moses was a tiny man compared with Og. He was only ten ells high, and he carried with him a sword of the same length. With a mighty effort, he jumped ten ells into the air, and raising the sword, he managed to strike the giant on the ankle and wound him mortally. Thus, after many years, did the terrible giant of the flood perish for breaking his word to Father Noah. End of the Giant of the Flood Wow! This is the most beautiful enchanted forest! <laughs> well, hello, fair lass! I am a unicorn! Do you like our enchanted forest? Oh, gosh, yes! It's so beautiful and enchanted! <laughs> Thank you, lass! We like it too, yes! If you want to help keep it enchanting, you could help with the upkeep. A few dollars towards fairy lights for fairy nights on Radio for Human helps the fairy grow. Well, I can do that. How do I do it, though, gentle unicorn? Oh, sweet lass, you just go to patreon.com slash fairy lights and give what you can. A little bit of magic makes a fairy smile. I'm on my way, unicorn. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Delightful. Just delightful. Stories about unicorns. Commercials about unicorns. Where else I are you going to find it? I actually unplugged my headphones to make Bowie listen to that, and Phil is here, and she's oh, looking at me and looking at the computer like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, she knows that the unicorn on Whippets and Gin is mommy. Yeah. And now she's turned away from me. Aww. And she's, I'll post a photo, it's funny. Cool. She's like, angrily, um... Giving me the cold shoulder. Yeah. You're in the computer. She didn't know you were in the computer. I mean, I could play your princess in the pea if you want to do that later. That'll flip her brain out. That'll be a whole story. Oh, the princess in the pea. That's right. We have. I forgot about that one. Yeah, I have that. I never deleted it. Because I, I delete stories once I get them on the podcast, download them on uh, SoundCloud. Yep, there she no, is. No, that makes sense. 
but I couldn't delete that one. I just couldn't. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. I, I worked hard on those. Uh, the Princess and the Pea, at, the, <laughs> at least, was not like with the Yellow Dwarf, where I was like deep into recording it, and I was yeah. doing, I, I thought, a pretty good job. And then it said singing. And I was like, <laughs> what? Well, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> You've trained your whole life for this. You can do it. You did it. You That's did right. Job. I've been doing karaoke since I was a toddler. Since a tiny, tiny little. Tiny a wee little baron. A wee baron. <laughs> a wee baron, lass. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was thinking during that story of. The Shel Silverstein poem, The Last Unicorn, which oh, was a then... There's Shel Silverstein, Last Unicorn? Huh. Which was then turned into an Irish song that is often sung by, uh, I want to say Peter, Paul, and Mary did it first, but the best version of it is the Irish Rovers. Let's see. Hmm. Uh, you're working with us live, folks, so you can hear me typing. Yeah. Uh, the sh- here's yeah the unicorn. A long time ago, when the earth was green, I think there I was more that. kinds of animals than you've ever seen. Yeah, they'd I've run around that. free. I don't even need to look at the poem. It sure is Because uh, I used to sing this during Irish session all the time at my favorite local pub. Yeah. Um. Fun. Yeah. So it's the unicorn, but it's a Shel Silverstein poem about why the last unicorn. Um. Didn't make it. What happened? Yeah, the they got yeah. distracted fucking around uh, the day that Noah was prepping the ark, and yeah. God's pretty mad at the end. So. God was mad at the unicorn or Noah? Noah. His yeah. only rule was don't you forget my unicorn. Uh, and there were green alligators and long neck geese, some humpty back camels, and some chimpanzees, some cats and rats and elephants, but sure as you're born, don't you forget my unicorn. Oh, okay. Thank you, Foxfire. That's the the actual image. Aww. Uh, oh, no, that's another one. I walked through the wildwood and what did I see? A different unicorn poem. But yes, yeah. so I just posted the last, uh, the unicorn um, that I was talking sure about. Sure is your born. The sure. live, uh, or the uh, uh, Irish Rovers version of the song, which is literally just them putting music to it. But it's beautiful. It's a oh, a real so treat. A real treat. Huh. Yes, thank you so much, Foxfire. Thank you. I haven't heard that in a long time. I know. I know. I used to sing it to you all the time. Yeah. Susan and I used to be in the car together a lot, and I would <laughs> sing to her, and it was thirty percent appreciated by her, and that was that was charitable on her part. <laughs> well. I wouldn't say oh, hi, 30%. Heather. It yeah. must be higher than that. Heather's a big fan of Shel Silverstein. What I lack in skill, I make up for. Passion, yeah. And passion and props, usually. And props. <laughs> well. Yeah, if you're ever in a karaoke competition and you tell them Dr. McGregor, bring a prop. Yeah. yeah. So what's uh, what's next? What's next? Um, yeah, you know anything, but uh, I would like to hear. Let's see. Um, 
Let's see. Hmm. Uh, this is just a five-minute one. Willie's visit to the sea. I have no idea. It's from the mermaids, so it's it's sea-oriented. We 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 kind of get off on this unicorn thing. I really wish I had more unicorn stuff. I'm gonna look. Um, yeah. I mean. Well, let's let's see how long it takes us to turn this into just us talking about unicorns. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I was hoping to go mermaid, but that's the thing. Like, we got all months. I found it's what. Yeah, good. yeah. I'd love more stuff on unicorn. Is it I'm April? Look. It is April. Okay. It's April. Yeah, April Fool's Day happened. I avoided anyone pulling a horrible trick on me, so that's good. Except for it snowed that day, which has happened before, and I, I think God's just like, <laughs> yeah. You can do that. All right. I well, I remember it snowing in May in 2007 in Cleveland. Yeah. So you yeah. got a ways to go, buddy. Eh, no. It was, it was nice gorgeous. here. I it mean, was 80 got, today. Think... It was 80 today. I was walking around. 80 going... degrees in Cleveland today. Yeah, it's crazy. It was 55 here. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, but got... when I, I went on my bike and I was over by the water, it was like, uh... Mm-hmm. Uh, closer to forty. Yeah. By the way, because of the, you know, it's chilly. Yeah. Oh, I'll All post right. some pictures from my bike ride. Yeah. Yeah. Post some pictures from your bike ride. Okay, let me go for this. Chapter forty-one of the Mermaid's Message and other stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Betty B. Chapter 41. Willie's Visit to the Seashore by Alice Lotherington. Willie lived in a big city with his papa and mama. He was only six years old, but was a great help about the house. He went to the store, played with Sister Sue, rocked the cradle when baby George was cross, and did so many little things to help mama that she called him her busy little man. When papa came home at night, he was sure to find his slippers and easy chair ready for him, put there by Willie's loving little hands. Sometimes Papa took his boy for a ride on his car. Willie loved to get on a seat as near as he could to the locomotive and watch the engine. Puff, 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 chuck, chuck, chuck went the engine as if it said, Look out, here I come. Sometimes the engineer would blow the whistle. Then Willie would put his hands over his ears and look at Papa. As summer came on, the roses in Willie's cheeks began to fade. This will never do, said Papa, patting the little fellow's cheeks. Willie must go to Grandpa's. I'll write tonight. In less than a week, Grandpa was at the house, ready to take his grandson home with him. When Willie saw the big blue ocean, his brown eyes opened wide in wonder. It was not long before the salt air and sea bathing brought the roses back to the little boy's cheeks and he was soon strong again. What fun he had playing in the sand, such deep caves and wells he dug, and fine houses and castles he built. How he often wished that Sister Sue was with him. One day, Grandpa asked Willie if he would like a row on the creek. Of course he would. What boy would not like to go with his Grandpa? They were soon in the boat, and while Grandpa rowed, Willie leaned over the side and looked at the bright shells pretty pebbles, and little fishes in the water. He was just about to put out his hand to catch a piece of seaweed floating by 
when he felt something pinch his foot. Oh, oh, he cried, what's that? There it is again, and the little boy's face grew very red. Why, said Grandpa, looking in the bottom of the boat, it's a crab, and Grandpa picked it up by the back. He can't hurt now. What an ugly-looking fellow, exclaimed Willie. Throw him overboard, please. Let's look at him first, said Grandpa. See, he has eight legs and two claws, or hands, one of which is much larger than the other and very strong. With his claw, he digs his house, gets his food, and pinches people. Digs his house, laughed Willie. Oh, Grandpa. Yes, Willie, digs his house in the sand when the tide is low. And more than that, he makes a long hall, a bedroom to sleep in, and a pantry for his food. What does he eat? asked the boy. Flies, ants, little insects, in fact, almost anything he can get. He will even eat seaweed. Just then, Crabby tried to pinch Grandpa's hand. What funny eyes the crab has, exclaimed Willie. See how he pushes them out? His eyes are on little pegs, which he can push in and out as he pleases, was the reply. He is very careful of his eyes, for he knows that if he loses an eye, it will be a whole year before he has a new one. If he loses an eye, will another one grow, asked Willie. Yes, was the answer. Is a crab a fish, asked the boy. It is called a shellfish, said Grandpa. Baby crabs change their shells very often because they grow so fast, just like a little boy that I know. And Grandpa looked at Willie. When the crab gets older, he only changes his coat in the springtime. And when he is fully grown, he keeps his shell, which grows thicker and thicker year by year. What are crabs good for, asked Willie. To eat, was the answer. They also help to keep the ocean and seashore clean. I wonder if I could take hold of the crab, asked Willie, looking at Grandpa. If you take him by the back as I do, he can't hurt you, said Grandpa. Willie tried, but his hand slipped, and he caught hold of the crab's leg. Crabby gave a jump, and before Willie knew what had happened, was swimming down the creek, and Willie was left with part of a crab's leg in his hand. Grandpa had to laugh at the expression on Willie's face as he looked at the boy. Oh, I'm so sorry, said the boy. And the crab is so glad to get away, said Grandpa. I didn't mean to break its leg, said Willie. You didn't break it, my boy. The crab broke it himself. A crab can break off a leg when he pleases, and a new one will soon grow in its place. And now I think it must be near dinner time, so we had better start for home, said Grandpa, as he headed the boat for the shore. The summer passed quickly, and one morning early in September, whom should Willie see coming up the road but Papa, Mama, Sister Sue, and the baby? How much Willie had to tell. Mama said that he was a regular chatterbox. Well, I see the roses are back, said Papa, and somebody is getting too big for his clothes. I wonder if my little boy is ready to go home. This was a hard question for Willie to answer, but when Grandpa said he was to come again next summer and bring Sister with him, he was quite contented to go home. End of chapter 41 End of The Mermaid's Message and Other Stories Seems like a so little education. So it just ends on that, like, little Billy. Little Billy. Destroying I crabs. had a weird dream about crabs last You did? Yeah, there was like, I was on the beach and there were crabs everywhere, but then there was a lobster. 
And it took me back to this one time that we were in the ocean at 4am because I had screamed, I need to go to the ocean. And we went. And mm -hmm. um, don't worry about that. Uh, a, a lobster or something got me on the toe pretty good. I had, I ended up with stitches, I think. Didn't I? In the dream? No, in real life, that part. Oh. No, you know what? I used butterfly bandages for that one. But yeah, oh, my toe has like good. a weird scar now because I got oh. like, I don't know. Probably I kicked a rock, but. Yeah. One of my coworkers said, yeah, it's like crabs in a bucket. And I'm like, what do you mean crabs in a bucket? She's like, they just pull each other down. I'm like, yeah, I guess they would. That's well, what, what they... a terrifying thought. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, she was referring to it like as people, like yeah, I know people that don't raise each other up, but that tear each other down and keep each other down. So I was yeah. like, "That's quite an analogy." I never thought about that. Crabs in a bucket. So, but yeah, mm -hmm. I do like the crab with the knife because he's just gonna wield that thing. I I do think they're delicious. Um, I'm allergic to shellfish. Yeah, well, that's one thing to stay away from for you. Definitely. Well, um, I wouldn't eat it anyway, but yes. Yeah. So I've got another five minute. It looks like that one was about the sea, but um, I've got a five minute flower, uh, flower fairy one. You want to hear that? Cool, well... Speaking of flowers, why don't we do that, and then, uh, just to keep it flowing, uh, if you feel comfortable doing it, you could jump right into the Green News Report, since we're coming yeah. up on about the 8 o'clock hour anyway. Let's do it. Chapter All right. 19 of The Mermaid's Message and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Campbell Shelp. Chapter 19, Flower Fairies by Anna H. Little. One bright morning in May, a little eight-year-old boy was wheeling a baby cab along in the sunshine. His baby brother Roy was having a happy time in the cab. When he waked from his morning nap, Mama had asked Ernest to help her by taking baby Roy riding while little Ruth helped her at home. After a long ride in the sunshine, Ernest pushed the cab under the shade of a large tree near the stream where his water wheel was fastened, and sat down on a large stone by the bank of the stream. Baby Roy was fast asleep, and it was so quiet, Ernest felt quite alone out under the trees all by himself. He looked at the violets and buttercups near his feet, smiling at him, then he watched the water rushing along so swiftly down the stream. He saw some shining little fishes swimming, and one jumped up from the water and then fell back again. Then two frogs with shining green coats leaped from some hiding place and stood looking at him with their bright little eyes. Near them he saw a big white snail moving slowly, carrying its pretty shell house along with it on its back. The violets, the fishes, the frogs, and the snail were all so quiet. Ernest said aloud, I wish you could all talk to me. I have so many questions I would like to ask you. And, if you could talk, 
We should have such good times. Just then a bluebird on a branch above Ernest's head sang such a glad song that the little boy thought the bluebird had understood what he said and was speaking to him. He said, Good morning, Mr. Bluebird. Is your home in this tree? Then the bluebird flew far up in the tree, and there Ernest saw a little nest fastened to the tree. Mama Bird was there, and three little birds. Two bushy tails rushed up the tree, and Ernest saw two brown squirrels run into a hole in the tree, and then turn around and look at him. Oh, he said, what a nice little door you have to your house. I think you have a pretty good home in that tree. I wonder if your name is Bushytail, and if you are the squirrel that gathered nuts for the poor lame squirrel who had no nuts. I wish you could talk to me. Then the squirrel began to chatter, but Ernest did not understand all he said. Baby Roy awoke, and while Ernest wheeled him through the sunshine, a little leaf flew down, and Roy clapped his hands with delight. Then a bird flew down and stood still for an instant right in front of Roy, and he laughed again to see Birdie come to visit him. When they reached home, Mama said, Ernest, what did you do to make Roy so happy? Oh, Mama, it was the bird and the leaf and the sunshine that made him so glad. He thought they came just to visit him. He laughed just as if they were talking to him. Do you think they did talk to him, Mama? I wish they could talk. I've so many questions which I should like to ask them. Mama said, When I was out in the garden, I saw a fairy in every flower, and they talked to me. The fairies and the flowers out in the woods will speak to you, if you will look and listen. So Ernest ran out by the stream again to find the fairies. He looked closely at every flower to find the fairy in it, and thought, I wonder what Mama meant. Then he began gathering a bouquet of flowers to take home to Mama. Then he thought, I'll gather a big, big bouquet, and ask Papa to take it with him to the city tomorrow for those little children who have no flowers, but love them so. When he took them home, Mama said, Did you find the fairies? I think I did, said Ernest. And they said our garden verse to me. Kind hearts are the gardens, kind thoughts are the roots. Kind words are the flowers, kind deeds are the fruits. Take care of your garden, and keep out the weeds. Fill, fill it with sunshine, kind words and kind deeds. Love is glad sunshine, God sends every hour. Shines away all darkness, and wakens each flower. Every violet and buttercup seemed to say to me, Take me where I can help make someone glad. It made me think of so many things I might do to make the flowers grow in my kind heart garden. I thought how God sent sunshine to make flowers grow in the woods and in our heart gardens, too. If love is glad sunshine, then love wakes up all kinds of flowers and helps all good things grow. When Papa came home, Ernest met him with a smiling face and told him all about the fairies he had found in the flowers. End of chapter 19. It's Thursday, April 8, 2021. Inaction simply is not an option. President Biden responds to Republican attacks on his infrastructure jobs plan. 
New analysis warns of looming wave of abandoned oil and gas wells. Plus, this is about EV optimism. General Motors goes all in on an all-electric future. We go all in on those stories and many more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. To automatically say... That the only thing is infrastructure is a highway, a bridge, or whatever. That's just not rational. And did you expect today's Republican Party to be rational, Mr. President? If so, well... That's just not rational. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, the Republican Party seems to really be reaching to come up with reasons to oppose... Joe Biden's infrastructure plan, including, oh, that stuff is not infrastructure or something. Yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. President Joe Biden... It's not rational. Exactly. President Biden, in a White House speech on Wednesday, addressed Republican attacks on his $2 trillion American jobs plan, saying he is open to their ideas for repairing and upgrading the nation's infrastructure, but their definition needs to evolve. They say... Why not focus on traditional infrastructure, fix what we've already got, the roads and the highways that exist and the bridges? I'm happy to have that debate. But I want to tell you my view. We are America. We don't just fix for today. We build for tomorrow. Biden also linked infrastructure to national security, emphasizing that China and the rest of the world are already heavily investing in both old and new kinds of infrastructure that the U.S. has neglected for years and that American global competitiveness depends on it. Even if lead pipes in our water system is not considered infrastructure, and it is, why wouldn't you want to fix it anyway? The U.S. Treasury will play a critical role in the government-wide push to reach Biden's ambitious climate targets. That's according to Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen this week at the International Monetary Fund's virtual spring meeting. Yellen said she will implement federal policies and incentives to push private investment toward decarbonizing the economy. To really make progress on climate, we need both public investment and private investments and things like charging stations, um, an electric electrical grid that's capable of handling renewable energy sources appropriately. These um, core investments are critical in order to provide the public infrastructure to support private investments. Yellen also said that she will ensure that financial institutions not only understand and plan for the physical risks of climate change, but also take action to minimize the potential for stranded assets, costly fossil fuel infrastructure projects that could become worthless as the world shifts to cheaper renewable energy. Could become worthless. Abandoned fossil fuel infrastructure is already a problem today. Hundreds of thousands of orphaned oil and gas wells and abandoned coal and hard rock mines in the U.S. pose serious safety hazards and are causing ongoing environmental air and water pollution. Biden's infrastructure proposal would create jobs for oil, gas and coal workers to clean up those abandoned sites. But a new analysis by the Texas Tribune and Grist warns of a looming wave of new 
abandoned oil and gas wells. They estimate more than 13,000 wells in Texas and New Mexico alone are likely to be abandoned in coming years by underfunded drillers known as wildcat operations, who quickly run out of money and leave, abandoning well pads that spew methane and leak into drinking water supplies. Taxpayers in those states are likely to be on the hook for nearly $1 billion in cleanup costs. Somebody should really pay someone to clean up all of those old wells. In other news, an appeals court has thrown out a Trump-era rule that delayed regulations controlling methane emissions from landfills, and a panel of federal appeals judges nixed a Trump administration rule that tried to block the Environmental Protection Agency from setting any future greenhouse gas limits on polluting industries. (laughs) Nice try, Trump. Finally, General Motors stock rose to record highs this week after the unveiling of an all-electric Chevy Silverado pickup truck that can go 400 miles on a single charge. Wow. GM follows carmakers Ford, Tesla, and startup Rivian in electrifying the light-duty truck market. GM says the new electric Silverado will not be slapped on the old gasoline-powered model, but instead will be redesigned from the ground up as electric only, which the company said will optimize interior capacity, performance and driving range very cool for much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com find follow and share us planet-wide on the facebook's and the twitter's at green news report i'm brad friedman and i'm desi doyan and this has been your green news report so if you want my love i wish you love you don't stand a chance without a pickup truck that's what she said. So I went on down to Joe's garage. Oh, goodness. Green News Report. Yeah. Infrastructure is infrastructure. Start fixing things. They're a hot mess. I don't know. Like, it's just... Yeah, I mean, I think people who... Um, people like to assign value to things like roads and bridges which are traditionally built by men and to say that uh child care or other things like that are um infrastructure as well jobs traditionally held by women um bothers people who are Mm -hmm. ignorant I have uh, more little stories, tiny little stories. I mean, I uh, it's the eight o'clock hour, so we do have an hour, another hour. I do have um, uh, the story of Cersei, and mm-hmm. uh, so that's kind of sea. Yeah, that's kind of seafaring. That's twenty-four minutes, so that we'll one. definitely play that. That's a really good one. Okay, good. You find that inspira- inspiring? Oh, I'm a huge fan of the Odyssey, and I, I love the Cersei chapter, so yes. Yeah. It's Cersei and Proserpina. Mm-hmm. So, well, we'll see if it's two stories or if it's just one. I don't know. Oh, what what is um, Kiddo up it to? It looks like Kiddo uh, is probably on his way to see Cersei. Nice. He's got a taste for beer. Can't be stopped now. Yeah. I love All it right. so fucking much, Foxfire. Thank you. 
Um, yeah, awesome. all right. Well, I'll see you all on the uh, other side of about 24 minutes. Okay, let's go. Oh, wait, wrong click. <laughs> City, it's radio's outstanding children's theater, Let's Pretend, created by Nyla Mack. And now, to get us started on today's special Thanksgiving story, series and Proserpina, here's Uncle Bill Adams. Hello, pretenders! Hello, Uncle Bill! Well, did everybody have a good Thanksgiving? You did! Hold on, that's fine. Thanksgiving is America's own holiday. But ever since the beginning of time, people have been celebrating the harvest season one way or another. The Greeks and Romans 2,000 years ago had a wonderful harvest story. And today we're doing it for the first time on Let's Pretend. Just one thing before we start. Uh, A pomegranate plays a big part in the story. Now, how many of you know what a pomegranate is? Uh, uh, Sybil... Will you describe that fruit which the Greeks and Romans loved? Well, it's round and red and a little bigger than an apple, pretenders. But the inside is full of red seeds, like big currants, full of juice and very delicious. Okay. Now, will everybody know what Persephone is eating when she eats pomegranate seeds? Yes! All right. Then let's take off for Let's Pretend. Sybil... You tell us how we travel. Let's open all the cages at the zoo and ride on lions and tigers and elephants. Hey, we'll be some parade heading back to long ago Greece. Uh, Gran, will you take charge of the magic? Okay, Uncle Bill. Magical zookeepers, just for let's pretend, will you open all the cages? One, two, three! (laughs) Oh, boy! And there we are. Look, lions, tigers, elephants. Okay, everybody, grab your favorite animal. This story happened once upon a time before there was ever any winter as we know it now. Mother Ceres, who took care of all green and growing things, saw to it that all year long fruit and grain were ripening, that flowers were blooming on the earth, and was all, everything was beautiful. Now, a Mother Ceres had a little daughter whom she loved very much, and her name was Proserpina. One day, Mother Ceres put on the wreath of poppies she always wore, took Proserpina by the hand, and went down to the water's edge. Oh, dear, I wish I didn't have to go away and leave you all day today, Proserpina. Oh, but Mother Ceres, I'll be all right. Don't you often leave me to take care of the crops? Have I ever gotten into any kind of trouble? No, dear child, no, of course not. Then why are you worrying so today? I... Oh, I had such a strange and troubled dream last night. I... Oh, buddy, it's foolish to let that bother me. I'll call your friend the sea nymph. Sea nymph? Oh, sea nymph! Yes, Mother Ceres. We'll come at once. <laughs> oh, here they come. Oh, I love to watch them tumbling and leaping in the waves. Greetings, Mother Ceres. Good day, 
Proserpina. I wish to leave Proserpina in your charge for the day, dear friend. Will you keep her entertained and <laughs> make sure that she doesn't get into mischief? Oh, of course we will. There's nothing we'd like better. Thank you. Thank you, all of you. And, and now, Proserpina, be careful, dear. Don't stray far from the water's edge. I'll come back for you here this Proserpina, a beautiful necklace of shells, all for you. Do you like it? Oh, it's lovely. Now I think I'll make you a necklace. Would you like one made of flowers? Oh, that, that would be wonderful. There are some growing right up here in the meadow. I'll get an armful right now. Up to the meadow? But, Proserpina, your mother's well, the meadow is not far, see, nymph. You can watch me all the time. Well, you watch now, and I'll be back in no time. Well, don't go too far, Proserpina. No, I won't. Oh, here's some lovely yellow flowers. And then I'll pick some of those blue ones and... Oh, those red ones over there. Why, I never saw any like these in my life. Mr. come back. Just a little farther, see, nymph. Oh, those roses. I must have some for the necklace. There we are. This one. What's the matter? Why won't the stem break? Break, you stem. All right, then. I'll pull. Is that thunder on such a sunny day? What's happening to the bush? The bush just disappeared into a great hole in the earth. What is it? What's coming? Black horses and a great black chariot right out of the earth. Oh, oh there. Well, little one. Last I greet you. Oh, who, who are you? My name is Pluto, little one. <gasps> Pluto? King of the underworld? Yes, but there's no need to be frightened, Proserpina. I've only come to hear you laugh. To hear me laugh? I know it sounds strange to you. But you can't imagine what it is to live from one year's end to another and never hear laughter. Never hear laughter? How can that be? Well, the souls who dwell in the underworld... Do not laugh, Proserpina. Sometimes I walk from room to room in my vast palace and realize that never since the beginning of time has anyone laughed there. Oh, I can't believe it. I can't imagine such a place. Would you like to see it for yourself, Proserpina? Come, pay me a little visit right now. A visit? Oh, no, no, I couldn't. We could be there in no time in my chariot. I can bring you back just as quickly. And it would make me very happy, Proserpina. I would remember your visit for years. The palace would be a happier place forever. Really? Come now. Your hand. That's right. And up we go into the chariot. Dear, I I really shouldn't, I guess, but I can't imagine a place where nobody has ever laughed. Well, don't worry for a minute, Proserpina. Get up, Ironheart. Up, Thunder. Up and away to the underworld. No one laughs. Are we almost at your palace, King Pluto? Yes, we're almost there. And hark, there's Cerberus. What a monster! How awful! Oh, oh there! All right, all right, quiet, Cerberus. Terrible, he's terrible. Three, three heads and, and each fiercer than the other. Please, Proserpina, don't be frightened. 
He never harms anyone unless they try to enter my palace unbidden or leave against my will. Now, come. Let me take you into the palace. <laughs> That's right, Persephone. It makes you laugh to play ball with diamonds, doesn't it? Yes, it, it's very strange. Now, King Pluto, it's time for no, me to... No, no, wait. Let me get you some rubies to play with. Well, thank you just the same, but I don't want to play with any more jewels now. I, I want to go home, if you please. No, no, you mustn't. You must stay. I can't bear to have you go. Oh, King Pluto, you promised. Take me home to my mother now. Right now. I know. If you eat, then you won't be in such a hurry. I'll command the cook to prepare a real feast. All the dainties you can imagine. Here, play with these rubies, Persephone, and I'll be back in just a moment. No, 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 come back. I, I don't want anything to eat. I want to go home. I want my mother. Oh, oh mother, I, I did wrong to come with him, and I'm sorry, so sorry. But how am I ever going to get back to you? <laughs> What are you saying, sea nymphs? Proserpina just vanished over the top of the hill and didn't return. That's right, Mother Ceres. We've been watching and waiting all afternoon, Mother Ceres, and getting more and more worried. But it's not like Proserpina to wander away. She would have come back unless something happened. I must search for her. Proserpina! Proserpina, where are you, darling? Proserpina! <laughs> Demetrius, Demetrius, have you seen Proserpina today? Oh, I'm sorry, Mother Ceres. I haven't seen her today at all. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Proserpina! Proserpina! Domina, Domina, have you seen my little girl anywhere? No, but please don't look so worried, Mother Ceres. Why, your wreath of poppies is wilted. And look... The flowers along the road here are drooping and wilting. Mother Ceres... No, no, don't bother me about them now. I can't do anything about flowers or anything till I find Proserpina. Proserpina! Oh, darling, where are you? Why don't you answer me? <laughs> oh, weak... For a week I've been searching and asking. <sighs> Hickety. There's her cave right over there. Oh, it's hopeless, I know. She never, never notices anything but her own misery. Still. Hickety! Eh? It's Mother Ceres. Come out of your cave for a moment. No, I can't come out into the light series. I'm too miserable to stand the sunshine. Oh, my, the world is full of troubles. Indeed it is. And at this moment, I am more miserable and unhappy than you ever dreamed of being, Hecate. So oh, please. Oh, miserable, Mother Series, really. Well, what on earth is... Good heavens. Well, what's happened to all the grass? It, it, it's turned brown and, and dry. And the leaves. Yes, yes, everything is dying. I haven't oh, time. It's my. about Persephone, my little daughter. She's lost, managed. Hecate, have you heard anything, seen anything that might give me a clue? Well, now, this is a dreadful thing. 
Oh, uh, wait, wait. Now you remind me of it. A week ago, yes, a week ago it was. A week ago? Tell me, Hickety, what? I, I heard a great chariot rumbling past my cave, and when I looked out, it seemed I saw a little girl beside the driver. Hickety, what kind of a chariot? I must know. You must have known. Oh, a big black thing it was, black as though it came from the underworld itself. The underworld. Oh, my, oh, my, isn't that dreadful? I suppose it was Pluto himself who carried her off. Hecate. If it was he, you know, you have every right to be miserable. You'll never get her back. Stop it, stop it, Hecate. I am Mother Ceres. I have powers and magics of my own, you know. Oh, none of that will do you any good if she eats anything while she's in the underworld. Ceres, you know as well as I do, if anybody eats anything in the underworld, they're bound to stay there forever. They can't come back to this world ever again. Yes, but we don't know it was Pluto who carried her off. Who would know for sure? Phoebus. Phoebus, the sun god. Why didn't I think of him before? I must go to him at once. You know, I, I just think I'll come along. Yes, and since you've already forced me out into the light as you have, I might as well. Very well, but and... make haste. And oh, Proserpina, my darling, if it is Pluto who has carried you off, don't eat anything. Please, don't eat anything. <laughs> Now, down in Pluto's rich, dark castle, Proserpina, who knows nothing of this magic, looks at a loaded tray in front of her. Come now, Proserpina, a bite of this delicious cake. The cook made it especially for you and filled it with nuts and sweetmeats. A little bite, child. I... Oh, no, thank you, really, King Pluto. It's very curious. It does seem as though I should feel weak and faint from hunger, but... I don't. Yes, it's true. There is a certain magic in the air down here, so food is not absolutely required. But I'm sure you'd feel better and happier if you ate Proserpina. Please. I do so want you to laugh. Come, some of this candy. No, no, please, no. But what's wrong? I thought little girls loved cake and candy and sweetmeats. Oh, dear. When I was home, I used to wish for them sometimes, but now... Now I'm away and... All I can think of are the things my mother used to give me. Fresh fruit and good, crisp, green things. Oh, Proserpina, don't cry, please. I... Well, good heavens, what's wrong with me? Proserpina, stop crying. I shall send a messenger up to Earth at once to bring back baskets of the finest fruit for you. Then I know you'll eat and laugh and be happy again. I won't ever be happy again. You take me back to my mother. Yes, yes, you will. Just wait till you see the apples, peaches, and pears my messenger will bring back for you. Just wait, my dear. Meanwhile, up on Earth, Mother Ceres, along with the dismal and lamenting Hecate, has arrived at the sunniest spot on Earth. And in the center of the glow sits the golden-haired Phoebus, strumming his lyre. Hecate, there he is just ahead. There's Phoebus. Oh, this light, it's awful. Truly, if you weren't so unhappy, Ceres, I couldn't bear it. Oh, please, Hecate, I'm hoping Phoebus can help me. Phoebus! Mother Ceres! Oh, the very woman I want to see. You wanted to see me? Oh, you have news? Well, everywhere I travel with the sun, I, I see the earth all parched and brown. 
What's wrong, Mother Ceres? Oh, well, may you ask, Phoebus. Phoebus, I... I've lost my daughter, my little Proserpina. I came to ask if you had seen her being borne away, perhaps, in a great black chariot. A great black chariot? Well, some days ago, I saw Pluto riding for the entrance to the underworld. And now that I remember, he did have a child with him. A little girl. Yes. And she was your daughter, Mother Ceres? So this is why you neglect the crops. Now I know. Oh, I must leave for the underworld at once. No, wait. Wait. This is a job for the god's own messenger, Mercury. He can enter anywhere, even past Cerberus, Pluto's watchdog. Will he undertake the mission, Phoebus? Can he leave at once? Oh, there isn't a moment to lose. There certainly isn't. There'll be nothing to eat at all next year if you, Mother Ceres, don't get back to work. It's not that, it's Proserpina. If she eats food in the underworld, even Mercury can't bring her back to me. Please, Phoebus, send for Mercury at once. Alas, Proserpina, my messenger scoured the earth for fresh fruit or green things. But something terrible has happened there. Everything is withered and dead. Oh, but that's impossible. Mother never lets anything die. She has now. My messenger went everywhere. She's grieving for me, that's what. Let me go back, King Pluto. No, no, wait. My messenger did find this. What? A little pomegranate. Try it, Proserpina. Here, I'll, I'll break it open for you. There. The seeds are still juicy. Won't you please... What? Good heavens, what's wrong with Cerberus? Is someone trying to enter the palace? Excuse me, Proserpina. Let's go see what's wrong. Truly, it is a withered little pomegranate, but... Oh, it reminds me of home and sunshine and mother. I think I'll eat just one seed or two or... What's that? Ah, so here you are, Proserpina. Mercury. Yes, it's I. Mercury, my dear. I've come for you. Oh, to take me home... Oh, will you let me go, King Pluto? Please, please. I remind you, Pluto, the gods are angry. Yes. Yes, I know. And mortals everywhere are starving. I was wrong to keep you here as I did, Proserpina. I thought only of myself, my own loneliness. I refused to think of your mother. All right, Proserpina, take my hand. In one minute, I'll whisk you back to Earth and good mother Ceres. Goodbye, King Pluto. Goodbye. <laughs> I'm just sitting here thinking how it will be with the earth all brown and dead like this forever. How long will it be before everybody starves to death, do you suppose? Oh, Hecate, please. I can't bear to see everything dead like this, but... Hecate, look. What? Those trees along the horizon. What about them? (gasps) Why? They're suddenly covered with green. And look... A path of color is spreading across the field. Oh, dear. Flowers. Flowers are springing up. Mother! Proserpina. Oh, my darling. Yes, I've brought her back to you, Mother Ceres. Oh, Mother. Mother, I'm so happy. And I... You see, Hecate, I was right to hope. Well, I must say, I am surprised. Uh, You didn't eat anything down there, Proserpina? Of course she didn't. Did you, my darling? Oh, if she had, she wouldn't be here. No, truly, I didn't eat anything. Except... Except 
What do you mean, Proserpina? Oh, Mother, just before Mercury came, King Pluto had brought me a pomegranate. I... I ate some of the seeds. Uh-huh. But I never knew. Pluto must not have known either. But he will find out. He knows now, I've no doubt. Oh, Proserpina, how many seeds did you eat? How many? Six, I think, Mother. Was that wrong? My darling, you couldn't know, of course, but six seeds. I knew it. I knew there'd be something. Six seeds. That's, uh, that's six months. Mother, what does she mean? What's wrong? Tell me. Alas, dear child, for each of those seeds you ate in Pluto's kingdom, you will have to spend a month there each year. You're restored to me, darling, but only for half of every year. Six months from now, you'll have to return to Pluto's kingdom. Oh, me, isn't it awful? Isn't it terrible? I'm sorry, Mother Ceres. I went as fast as I could. And just when my heart was so full of rejoicing, when I was ready to make everything on earth bloom and flourish. Mother, Mother, please keep on rejoicing. And, and don't feel too badly if I must go away for part of the year. King Pluto was not cruel, only lonely. I... I can bear to visit him each year if I know always I'll be coming back to you. Oh, my dear child, that is the way I must think of it now, I know. I must make everything grow and blossom twice as richly now, so that when you go... When you go... When she goes, Mother Ceres, we will not grieve. We'll have a feast on summer's riches, because she will return again. That's right, Mother. I'll come back always. So don't be sad anymore. Don't be sad, she says. Oh. But she's right, Hecate. It is wrong to be sad when my darling is back in my arms. Let us all be thankful now that she will always return to them. Welcome home, Proserpina, dear. <laughs> the old Greek and Roman legend of the mother of the harvest and her daughter whose departure and return makes the seasons of the year. The pretenders for today were Mother Ceres, Amy Sedell, Proserpina, Patsy O'Shea, the sea nymph, Gwen Davies, Pluto, Michael O'Day, Hecate, Miriam Wolf, Phoebus, Donald Madden, Mercury, Robert Morea, and of course our own Sybil Trent. The original music was composed and conducted by Maurice Brown. Let's Pretend is directed by Gene Height. And this story of Ceres and Proserpina was especially written for today's production by Johanna Johnston. Let's Pretend comes to you from New York. So come and visit a broadcast if you live nearby. You can get free tickets by writing to CBS Radio New York City. And be sure to be listening next week when we bring you the exciting story of a shrewd and clever cat. Puss in Boots himself. See you then. And now, here's Jim Campbell. Yes, pretenders, now that the Thanksgiving season is almost over, and everybody's beginning to think about Christmas, here's a reminder for you to pass on to your families. Many children and grown-ups, too in lands that were devastated by the war, face a very miserable Christmas indeed, unless some good Americans play Santa Claus for them. Remember your parents and remind them that one of the finest ways to do that is by sending care packages to people overseas. 
The fabulous Quiz Kids are heard Sundays on the CBS Radio Network. Tried wow. to do the cream of wheat commercial. I know that was a good effort. And I, we got no cream of wheat commercial, so I knew that. No, we didn't. I got excited be... when I heard the opening bars, and I screamed. <laughs> you <laughs> screamed. I screamed of wheat. Scream of wheat. <laughs> well. There, there was some sea nymphs in there, so I, I don't know, but yeah, yeah, no, no cream of wheat commercial, but I did play it at the end because I do have. And a cream I appreciate of wheat, but the, that. The, and I'm the sure volume that my uh, cream of wheat friend, the living, I assume also. Um, that he appreciated it. Yeah, I bet he did. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure he'll tell us if he didn't. But um, <laughs> no, we. Uh, it that was lovely. Um, yeah, a Roman version. A Roman version. Well, because we had Pluto. Yeah, Pluto instead of Hades. Mm-hmm. Mercury instead of what is the other name? Jupiter. Hermes. Hermes so. Yeah, Hermes. Yelling in the back. Jupiter's another Roman one. All the planets. The, the Romans did a great job of taking work and making it theirs, uh, much like a man will do. Yeah. And um, um, that's so obviously where the planets come from. So now, now speaking of planets, did you learn how to remember all the names in the order of the planets with like a ra- no. like one of those? You no. didn't. You just learned them. You didn't have like my very excellent mother just served us nine pickles. No, but I like that. And of course, now there's no pickles because Pluto's not a planet. Bowie. Was yours pickles or pizza? Ooh. My very educated mother just served us nine. Pluto. Oh, he doesn't remember it either. This might have been a thing I only No, we just memorized um, Roy G. Biv for the rainbow. Oh, yeah. Well, Roy G. Biv, obviously. You didn't obviously. have the planet one. Because it was yeah. to help you learn Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, etc. Yeah, that's a good one. It was a good one, mnemonic device. The other one I remember was how to learn uh, mm-hmm. classification order in science for like species or what? Well, for animals and it or plants, I guess too. And it was kings play cards on fat green stool, stools. So like kingdom, phylum, class. Oh yeah, kings play. Oh, no. Yeah, hmm. I don't remember that Genus, either. You know. Yeah, I think there was a, a way that I remembered the notes. Um, 
all very good boys something when you when you look at the notes on a on a when you're reading mm-hmm. music but i don't remember yeah. the mnemonic device for that something like very good all very good boys something i don't know but yeah you remember mnemonic devices good job i don't <laughs> i i do i mean i guess i just i remember the i never thought i mean nine things not that many to have to keep track of, but to remember the order of the planets uh, at a young, young age. I mean, this yeah. is something that we were taught when we were like Good. six. Yeah, oh, but I've six. never forgotten wow. it, and it was always yeah. Uh, my very excellent or educated mother just served us nine. It would be either pickles or pizzas. Pickles or pizza. And yeah, then you would, would remember like Mercury, pizza. Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Uranus, Pluto. Yeah. That's a good way to remember it. Yeah, definitely. Something that I remembered. And also kings play cards on fat green stools. (laughs) Kings play cards on fat green stools. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. You like those mnemonic devices. I like them. I think they are helpful at times. Yeah. 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 So that was a little more dramatic than the other stories. A little more, um, you know. Because it's Let's Pretend. Good old Let's Pretend, right? I know. I miss Let's Pretend sometimes. Yeah. They're, uh, they are they do um, add a little elbow grease. They're not just reading you a story. No, it's those dumb kids and, you know. Yeah. That, that guy that hangs out with them, which is kind of troubling. Mm-hmm. I was looking at the, uh, through memes for the magicians, because I I watched the magicians and I read the book. I love that book. It's right here, actually. Um, I was just rereading it. Yeah, it's a good story, you know? And um, I was looking for a meme of Hades. I liked their Hades, because he's just kind of, he's a mellow dude, and yeah, he's kind of... uh, you know, he interacts with people and talks to them, and he's just like, yeah, this is how it is down here, you know. <laughs> so, but yeah, I was looking for that character, but nope, couldn't find a meme of him. It wasn't a big, big role, you know, so I wasn't really surprised. But I was looking at her. Magicians, Hades, magicians, Pluto. Nope. Magicians, king of the underworld. Nope. No go. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, kiddo and the cream of wheat too. He's starting off his day right. Oh look, <laughs> scream of wheat. <laughs> but yeah, maybe uh, Fox Viral let us use one of those for the show. Whichever one you want. Oh yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, yeah, I like you know that. she's always very. I would like to draw, I I would like to make a coloring book and draw those in. When I'm looking at that, I would like to draw them in. Yeah, we'll definitely uh, get the coloring book together. uh, Want it? Um, Mm -hmm. We certainly have enough material now after a couple of months of this. Thank you Mm -hmm. very much to Foxfire for that. And I'll add a few of my drawings too. And Sue's, I know you've got at least one. Uh, living Peter Pan will be back soon. 
Um, one day. One day. But um, the what? Uh, speaking of stories, what else mm-hmm. do we have? Do we have do any? You- uh, it's eight thirty. So do we have like another twenty minute one? Or- uh, I uh, have a fifteen minute one. I'm looking offhand. A uh, nine minute one. I could do the well. Fifteen soon. minutes is pretty perfect. I mean, that gives us the opportunity to do both if we want. Okay. So let me do that. Uh, there's a 15-minute one called uh, Water Lily Gold Spinners. I have no Perfect idea. Perfect for April. Yeah, so let's go for that. Water Lily Gold Spinners. All right. The Water Lily, the Gold Spinners of the Blue Fairy Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. That's L-I-B-R-I-V-O-X dot O-R-G. Recording by Christy Nowak. The Blue Fairy Book by Andrew Lang. The Water Lily, the Gold Spinners. Once upon a time in a large forest, there lived an old woman and three maidens. They were all three beautiful, but the youngest was the fairest. Their hut was quite hidden by trees, and none saw their beauty but the sun by day and the moon by night and the eyes of the stars. The old woman kept the girls hard at work from morning till night, spinning gold flax into yarn, and when one distaff was empty, another was given them, so they had no rest. The thread had to be fine and even, and when done was locked up in a secret chamber by the old woman, who twice or thrice every summer went on a journey. Before she went, she gave out work for each day of her absence, and always returned in the night, so that the girls never saw what she brought back with her. Neither would she tell them whence the gold flax came, nor what it was to be used for. Now, when the time came round for the old woman to set out on one of these journeys, she gave each maiden work for six days, with the usual warning. Children, don't let your eyes wander, and on no account speak to a man, for if you do, your thread will lose its brightness, and misfortunes of all kinds will follow. They laughed at this oft-repeated caution, saying to each other, How can our gold thread lose its brightness, and have we any chance of speaking to a man? On the third day after the old woman's departure, a young prince hunting in the forest got separated from his companions and completely lost. Weary of seeking his way, he flung himself down under a tree, leaving his horse to browse at will, and fell asleep. The sun had set when he awoke and began once more to try and find his way out of the forest. At last he perceived a narrow footpath, which he eagerly followed, and found that it led him to a small hut. The maidens, who were sitting at the door of their hut for coolness, saw him approaching, and the two elder ones were much alarmed, for they remembered the old woman's warning. But the youngest said, "'Never before have I seen anyone like him. Let me have one look.' They entreated her to come in, but, seeing that she would not, left her, and the prince, coming up, courteously greeted the maiden and told her he had lost his way in the forest and was both hungry and weary. She set food before him and was so delighted with his conversation that she forgot the old woman's caution and lingered for hours. In the meantime, the prince's companions sought him far and wide, but to no purpose. So they sent two messengers to tell the sad news to the king, who immediately ordered a regiment of cavalry and one of infantry to go and look for him. After three days' search, they found the hut. The prince was still sitting by the door and had been so happy in the maiden's company that the time had seemed like a single hour. Before leaving, he promised to return and fetch her to his father's court, where he would make her his bride. 
When he had gone, she sat down to her wheel to make up for lost time, but was dismayed to find that her thread had lost all its brightness. Her heart beat fast, and she wept bitterly, for she remembered the old woman's warning, and knew not what misfortune might now befall her. The old woman returned in the night, and knew by the tarnished thread what had happened in her absence. She was furiously angry, and told the young maiden she had brought down misery, both on herself and on the prince. The maiden could not rest for thinking of this. At last she could bear it no longer, and resolved to seek help from the prince. As a child she had learned to understand the speech of birds, and this was now of great use to her, for, seeing a raven pluming itself on a pine bough, she cried softly to it, Dear bird, cleverest of all birds, as well as swiftest on wing, wilt thou help me? How can I help thee? asked the raven. She answered, Fly away until thou comest to the splendid town where stands a king's palace. Seek out the king's son, and tell him that a great misfortune has befallen me. Then she told the raven how her thread had lost its brightness, how terribly angry the old woman was, and how she feared some great disaster. The raven promised faithfully to do her bidding, and spreading its wings, flew away. The maiden now went home and worked hard all day at winding up the yarn her elder sisters had spun, for the old woman would let her spin no longer. Toward evening she heard the raven's craw, craw from the pine tree, and eagerly hastened thither to hear the answer. By great good fortune the raven had found a wind-wizard's son in the palace garden who understood the speech of birds, and to him he had entrusted the message. When the prince heard it, he was very sorrowful, and took counsel with his friends how to free the maiden. Then he said to the wind-wizard's son, Beg the raven to fly quickly back to the maiden, and tell her to be ready on the ninth night, for then will I come and fetch her away. The wind-wizard's son did this, and the raven flew so swiftly that it reached the hut that same evening. The maiden thanked the bird heartily, and went home, telling no one what she had heard. As the ninth night drew near, she became very unhappy, for she feared lest some terrible mischance should arise and ruin all. On this night she crept quietly out of the house, and waited trembling at some little distance from the hut. Presently she heard the muffled tramp of horses, and soon the armed troop appeared, led by the prince, who had prudently marked all the trees beforehand in order to know the way. When he saw the maiden, he sprang from his horse, lifted her into the saddle, and then, mounting behind, rode homeward. The moon shone so brightly that they had no difficulty in seeing the marked trees. By and by the coming of dawn loosened the tongues of all the birds, and, had the prince only known what they were saying, or the maiden been listening, they might have been spared much sorrow, but they were thinking only of each other, and when they came out of the forest the sun was high in the heavens. Next morning, when the youngest girl did not come to her work, the old woman asked where she was. The sisters pretended not to know, but the old woman easily guessed what had happened, and, as she was in reality, a wicked witch, determined to punish the fugitives. Accordingly, she collected nine different kinds of enchanter's nightshade, added some salt, which she first bewitched, and, doing all up in a cloth into the shape of a fluffy ball, sent it after them on the wings of the wind, saying, Whirlwind, mother of the wind, lend thy aid against her who sinned, carry with thee this magic ball, cast her from his arms for ever, bury her in the rippling river. At midday the prince and his men came to a deep river, spanned by so narrow a bridge that only one rider could cross at a time. The horse on which the prince and the maiden were riding had just reached the middle when the magic ball flew by. The horse, in its fright, suddenly reared, and before anyone could stop it, flung the maiden into the swift current below. 
The prince tried to jump in after her, but his men held him back, and in spite of his struggles led him home, where, for six weeks, he shut himself up in a secret chamber, and would neither eat nor drink, so great was his grief. At last he became so ill his life was despaired of, and in great alarm the king caused all the wizards of his country to be summoned, but none could cure him. At last the wind-wizard's son said to the king, "'Send for the old wizard from Finland. He knows more than all the wizards of your kingdom put together.' A messenger was at once sent to Finland, and a week later the old wizard himself arrived on the wings of the wind. "'Honored king,' said the wizard, "'the wind has blown this illness upon your son, and a magic ball has snatched away his beloved. This it is which makes him grieve so constantly. Let the wind blow upon him, that it may blow away his sorrow.' Then the king made his son go out into the wind, and he gradually recovered and told his father all. "'Forget the maiden,' said the king, "'and take another bride.' But the prince said he could never love another. A year afterward he came suddenly upon the bridge where his beloved met her death. As he recalled the misfortune, he wept bitterly, and would have given all he possessed to have her once more alive. In the midst of his grief he thought he heard a voice singing, and looked round but could see no one. Then he heard the voice again, and it said, "'Alas, bewitched and all forsaken, "'tis I must lie for ever here. "'My beloved no thought has taken "'to free his bride that was so dear.' "'He was greatly astonished, "'sprang from his horse, "'and looked everywhere to see "'if no one were hidden under the bridge. "'But no one was there. "'Then he noticed a yellow water-lily "'floating on the surface of the water, "'half hidden by its broad leaves. "'But flowers do not sing, "'and in great surprise he waited, "'hoping to hear more. "'Then again the voice sang, "'Alas, bewitched and all forsaken, "'tis I must lie forever here. "'My beloved no thought has taken "'to free his bride that was so dear.' "'The prince suddenly remembered the gold spinners "'and said to himself, "'If I ride thither, who knows but that they could explain this to me?' "'He at once rode to the hut "'and found the two maidens at the fountain. "'He told him what had befallen their sister the year before "'and how he had twice heard a strange song, "'but yet could see no singer.' They said that the yellow water-lily could be none other than their sister, who was not dead, but transformed by the magic ball. Before he went to bed, the eldest made a cake of magic herbs, which she gave him to eat. In the night he dreamed that he was living in the forest, and could understand all that the birds said to each other. Next morning he told this to the maidens, and they said that the charmed cake had caused it, and advised him to listen well to the birds, and see what they could tell him. And when he had recovered his bride, they begged him to return and deliver them from their wretched bondage. Having promised this, he joyfully returned home, and as he was riding through the forest, he could perfectly understand all that the bird said. He heard a thrush say to a magpie, "'How stupid men are! They cannot understand the simplest thing! It is now quite a year since the maiden was transformed into a water-lily, and though she sings so sadly that anyone going over the bridge must hear her, yet no one comes to her aid.' Her former bridegroom rode over it a few days ago and heard her singing, but was no wiser than the rest. "'And he is to blame for all her misfortunes,' added the magpie. "'If he heeds only the words of men, she will remain a flower forever. She were soon delivered were the matter only laid before the old wizard of Finland.' After hearing this, the prince wondered how he could get a message conveyed to Finland. He heard one swallow say to another, "'Come, let us fly to Finland. We can build better nests there.' "'Stop, kind friends!' cried the prince. "'Will you do something for me?' The birds consented, and he said, 
Take a thousand greetings from me to the wizard of Finland, and ask him how I may restore a maiden, transformed into a flower, to her own form. The swallows flew away, and the prince rode on to the bridge. There he waited, hoping to hear the song, but he heard nothing but the rushing of the water and the moaning of the wind, and, disappointed, rode home. Shortly after he was sitting in the garden, thinking that the swallows must have forgotten his message, when he saw an eagle fly above him. The bird gradually descended until it perched on a tree close to the prince and said, The wizard of Finland greets thee, and bids me say that thou mayst free the maiden thus. Go to the river and smear thyself all over with mud. Then say, From a man into a crab, and thou wilt become a crab. Plunge boldly into the water, swim as close as thou canst to the water-lily's roots, and loosen them from the mud and reeds. This done, fasten thy claws onto the roots, and rise with them to the surface. Let the water flow all over the flower, and drift with the current, until thou comest to a mountain-ash tree on the left bank. There is near it a large stone. Stop there, and say, From a crab into a man, from a water-lily into a maiden. And ye both will be restored to your own forms. Full of doubt and fear, the prince let some time pass before he was bold enough to attempt to rescue the maiden. When a crow said to him, Why dost thou hesitate? The old wizard has not told thee wrong. Neither have the birds deceived thee. Hasten and dry the maiden's tears. Nothing worse than death can befall me, thought the prince, and death is better than endless sorrow. So he mounted his horse and went to the bridge. Again he heard the water-lily's lament and, hesitating no longer, smeared himself all over with mud, and, saying, from a man into a crab, plunged into the river. For one moment the water hissed in his ears, and then all was silent. He swam up to the plant and began to loosen its roots, but so firmly were they fixed in the mud and reeds that this took him a long time. He then grasped them and rose to the surface, letting the water flow over the flower. The current carried them down the stream, but nowhere could he see the mountain ash. At last he saw it, and close by the large stone. Here he stopped and said, From a crab into a man, from a water-lily into a maiden. And to his delight found himself once more a prince, and the maiden was by his side. She was ten times more beautiful than before, and wore a magnificent pale yellow robe sparkling with jewels. She thanked him for having freed her from the cruel witch's power, and willingly consented to marry him. But when they came to the bridge where he had left his horse, it was nowhere to be seen, for though the prince thought he had been a crab only a few hours, he had in reality been under the water more than ten days. While they were wondering how they should reach his father's court, they saw a splendid coach driven by six gaily caprescent horses coming along the bank. In this they drove to the palace. The king and queen were at church, weeping for their son, whom they had long mourned for dead. Great was their delight and astonishment when the prince entered, leading the beautiful maiden by the hand. The wedding was at once celebrated, and there was feasting and merrymaking throughout the kingdom for six weeks. Some time afterward the prince and his bride were sitting in the garden, when a crow said to them, "'Ungrateful creatures! Have you forgotten the two poor maidens who helped you in your distress? Must they spin gold flax forever? Have no pity on the old witch. The three maidens are princesses whom she stole away when they were children together, with all the silver utensils which she turned into gold flax. Poison were her fittest punishment.' The prince was ashamed for having forgotten his promise, and set out at once, and by great good fortune reached the hut when the old woman was away. The maidens had dreamed that he was coming and were ready to go with him, but first they made a cake in which they put poison and left it on the table where the old woman was likely to see it when she returned. She did see it, 
and thought it looked so tempting that she greedily ate it up and at once died. In the secret chamber were found fifty wagon loads of gold flax, and as much more was discovered buried. The hut was raised to the ground, and the prince and his bride and her two sisters lived happily ever after. End of The Water Lily, The Gold Spinners genie from this enchanted lamp. What are your three wishes? Oh gosh, I just wish that Fairy Lights for Fairy Nights could keep bringing quality original content to the internet even during a pandemic. <laughs> you don't have to waste a wish for that. You can just go to patreon.com slash fairy lights and give what you can. Any little bit helps. Well, you got it, Genie. Now, let's talk about my army of unicorns and my forever home kitten sanctuary. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's funny. I was just telling Phil she's being very cute because she's currently she stays uh, sitting on one of the platforms mm-hmm. on her. Uh, Cat tree. Oh, yeah, it's nice. If she's hey, been good, I think she deserves Princess and the Pea. We can play that for. It takes two and a half minutes. I don't know if Bowie's heard it yet. Has he? Oh, look uh, at Princess her. and the Pea. Yeah, mine. Yeah, your version. No, all right. I'll unplug my headphones. Cool. Yeah. Let everybody listen to I'm it. I'm sure that my and, housemates uh, want to hear it. They do. And then we'll talk about it. The Princess right. and the Pea by Hans Christian Andersen, read by Zelda MacGregor. Once upon a time, there was a prince who wanted to marry a princess, but she would have to be a real princess. He traveled all over the world to find one, but nowhere could he get what he wanted. There were princesses enough, but it was difficult to find out whether they were real ones. There was always something about them that was not as it should be, and so he came home again and was sad, for he would have liked very much to have a real princess. One evening, a terrible storm came. There was thunder and lightning, and rain poured down in torrents. Suddenly, a knocking was heard at the city gate, and the old king went to open it. It was a princess standing out there in the front of the gate, but good gracious, what a sight in the rain and the wind had made her look. The water ran down her hair and clothes. It ran into her toes of her shoes and out again at the heels. And yet she said she was a real princess. Well, we'll soon find that out, won't we? Thought the old queen. But she said nothing, went into the bedroom, took all the bedding off the bedstead and laid a pea at the bottom. Then she took twenty mattresses and laid them on top of the pea and then twenty eiderdown beds on top of the mattresses. On this the princess had to lie all night. In the morning she was asked how she had slept. Oh, very badly, said she. I have scarcely closed my eyes all night. 
Heaven only knows what was in the bed, but I was lying on something hard, so that I am all black and blue all over my body. It's horrible. I couldn't get a wink sleep. Now they knew she was a real princess, because she had felt the pee right through the twenty mattresses and the twenty eiderdown beds. Nobody but a real princess could be as sensitive as that. So the prince took her for his wife, for now he knew that he had a real princess, and the pea was put in a museum where it may still be seen if no one has stolen it. There, that is a true story. I stole that pea. I stole that pea. I went right into that museum, stole it, made a soup out of it, did yeah. a push up on it, ate an egg on it. That's all I needed to do. Yeah, it's pretty lame. Like, <laughs> I still can't get over it. I know we talked about this before, but the two villains of this story are not the storm. <laughs> One is the prince, who's the biggest piece of shit ever. He's like, hey, real princess. Like, what? Like, a girl who not only likes the same rock band as you, but can name all of the fucking members of it, and the original <laughs> drummer, and... Like, also, every one of their singles, like, I or, or the song's off single on the album, and also his fucking bitch of a mom. Yeah, and I'm she's... trying really hard to stop using this word, but bitch with a capital C of a mom, <laughs> who just, like, is like, I don't believe her. No one's good enough for my son. And it's so <laughs> yucky. And she's signing up, well, maybe not royalty, but... So she goes in. She goes in. <laughs> she marries him. And then she's going to be making lunch, washing dishes, and, you know, cleaning up and doing his laundry without without a washing machine. You know, this is the olden times. She's going to be beating his shirts on a rock for the next 50 years. Come on now. But yeah, so maybe that doesn't happen as much in royal families. No, I don't know. I mean, who knows? But yeah, yeah it's it was it's just it's silly, and it was like I remember that story as a child, and I was irritated. But reading it again as an adult, I was like, motherfuckers, like you, monsters. So did Phil? Well, anyway, this has brought us uh, right up to the end of the night. So what um, what have you got? Uh, for your Thursday goodbye. Uh, for my Thursday goodbye? Uh, not much. Um, I'm going to try to continue to find mermaid or unicorn things. I was kind of looking on the internet archives to see if I could find any unicorn stories. And I really didn't see a lot. So, you know. Um, I'm going to keep looking. Um, uh, I, I do love a good unicorn. But, I mean, the internet loves unicorns, right? Mm. But does the Internet Archive audio love unicorns? I don't know. Well, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, we'll find some things. Um, but yeah, I was hoping that, uh, that uh, people would get inspired and, and say, well, that was a lot of seafaring stuff. Um, draw mermaids or think about mermaids. Oh, yeah, 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 for mermaids sure. mermaids rule. 
Yeah. Yeah, let's uh let's hope for that. I'd love to see some mermaids. Uh yeah. If people want to do that. So um cuz I just such a I don't cute know. Gif of a kitty cat. I'm looking at it in the chat now. Um Yeah, you like that one? Does Phil like it? That's what's important. Huh. I think Phil is confused because Phil would like to put me to bed at about 5 p.m. every Yeah, I'll bet. And um, we're still on the couch, so she's like, what the fuck? But guess what, buddy? Mommy's got a lot. Uh, and the bed is a nice place for sleeping, but not so much being productive in work. So anyway, yeah, yeah. let's. Uh, April is a nice time to explore other maritime uh, uh, critters. And that'll yeah. be fun to do. So thanks for sharing that stuff with us tonight. Yeah. But if you have any uh, ideas, uh, uh, we, we have our Patreon open. So feel free to go to Patreon if you want to uh, donate to keep us on the air. But you said there was an email that... Uh, uh, fairy fairy lights. lights or fairynights at gmail.com. Yeah. And you check that on a regular basis. You have it connected I sure do. with your other emails. So... If you have a fairy tale you want to hear, go ahead and tell me about it, and I'll try to find it. Uh, I'll try to find a free version of it. Or sometimes we like to uh, record our own versions of it, you know? Mm-hmm. So. But, yeah, we like reading stuff and looking at stuff and unicorns and mermaids and stuff like that. And fairy tales. But, um, yeah, and I actually, there was, the Carol Burnett show did a little fairy tale, little Rapunzel nod of the head, but it was really cheesy. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen that already? Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. It was, it was not. I was kind of like, oh, wow, I don't know about that. But, um, yeah, it sounds good. We can wrap things up for this week. Uh, first well, week always in pleasure, April. Suze. Yeah, get your taxes uh, ready to go. Huh. <laughs> get your taxes Shoot. ready to go. Right? I guess. I guess. I guess we got an extension. That's nice. And uh, we're. I'm fully immunized. You're fully immunized, right? No, 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 no. My next shot is uh, the twentieth on four twenty. Oh, that's right, four twenty. Yeah. High holiday. If you the will. high holiday. Yeah. Can't take credit for that, my friend. Good Amy. That one. It's it's true. The high holiday. So I figure the etiquette is that I bring an edible with me for my nurse, right? Thank you for Do my it. second shot. Here's a pot cookie. 420. Thank you for allowing me to live. Here you go. I, I appreciate you. Yeah, sorry. Phil just me out and came over. That's adorable. Yes, good night, everyone. Foxfire, thank you so much for your drawings yeah. and your artwork always. Thank you for uh, being our two most frequent and uh, fairy lights for fairy nights. It's a blast listeners. bringing this stuff to you. Radioforhumans.com. Yeah, Heather and Living. Thank you for being <laughs> you inspired because that inspires me. So, good night. Same. Good night. <laughs>